Jeremiah chapter 2, we ta we've taken the last several weeks and we've done an introduction on the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah chapter 1, we saw Jeremiah's compassion. Uh, he is known as the weeping prophet. And he was brokenhearted for his people. He, uh, we saw his country and we saw kind of the condition of, of Judah and what they were going through spiritually and some of the different kings that they uh, would experience. Then we saw Jeremiah's calling. God called Jeremiah. Uh, he ordained him. He sanctified him from the womb to be a prophet and to be a preacher. Then we saw Jeremiah's concern. You know what his concern was? He said, Lord... You can't use me. I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. Uh, you know, you got the wrong guy. That was his concern. But then I'm glad that God gave Jeremiah a consolation and he gave him a confirmation. He said, Jeremiah, I am going to use you and you're going to deliver the message. And God uh, put his call on Jeremiah's life. Now we get to Jeremiah chapter 2. And this is the first recorded sermon that Jeremiah preached to the people of Judah. This was still during the time of the reign of King Josiah. But let's jump in there at Jeremiah 2, verse number 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me? and have walked after vanity and are become vain. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, and through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, Ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priests said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wow. This is sermon number one. This is the first part of sermon number one. And Jeremiah delivers the message from God to the people of Judah. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we look at your word. And I pray that you'd help me to, uh, Lord, uh, to take the time that I need to take on the, the portions that I need to take the time on. Lord, there are so, many, so much truth. There's so much we can glean from this. Lord, I will not be able to cover it all. But I pray that you'd lead me and direct me. And I pray that you would guide my mind and guide my words. And Holy Spirit, I pray also that you would guide the ears of the listeners. And I pray you'd speak to our hearts and give us what we need from the Word of God tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to notice, we'll go through a few of these verses here. Number one, I see this is just introduction. It says in verse number one, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. 
Now, the me is Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, okay, here's what happened. The word of God, it came to me. And by the way, that's all that any of us really have to say is the word of the Lord. What God has to say. Because I, my, my opinion, it may be wrong. And your opinion may be wrong. Maybe you could say, well, we got a 50-50 chance. Well, can I tell you when it's what God says, you know it's right. You know it's true. You know there's no mistake. You know there's no way around it. The word of God is true. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Now, as a pastor at Victory Baptist Church in 2019, I do not sit in my office and just wait. Just stare at the walls and just wait to hear a voice. Lord, I need you to give me something. I need you to give me something. Now, by the way, he does speak, not in an audible voice, but the Lord does speak, and the Lord does lead, and the Lord does guide and direct. But I don't have to wait for a voice. I don't have to wait for a, a vision or a dream. Can I tell you? I've already got it right here. I have the Word of God, and so do you. And the Word of God is available to us. However, let me say this. Just because somebody has the Bible does not mean that their heart is ready to preach. And I hope you'll pray for me, and I hope you'll pray for our assistant pastors, and I hope you'll pray for our guest preachers, and pray for your Sunday school teacher, and pray that God would speak to us as preachers so that we have a word from God that we can deliver to God's people. The word of God must come alive. It must burn in us and it must uh, 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 challenge us so that we have something that we can share and we can transfer. Verse number two, the word of God came to Jeremiah and said, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. Now that word cry, the word in the Hebrew, it literally means to call out. It means to cry out or to proclaim. In the New Testament, the word preach is a similar word. The word preach, it means to herald the message. It's the idea of a, a person who would stand in the center of the town or stand in the town square and he would proclaim or he would herald like a town crier. He would proclaim the message from the king. That's what preaching is supposed to be. And that's one reason of many, but that's one reason why I don't preach in monotone. Uh, I don't whisper. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll whisper occasionally, but most of the time when I'm preaching, I'm trying to proclaim it because there's an urgency. There's an importance. There's, a, there, there's something that must be done, and there's a message that God has for us. The preacher has a responsibility to preach the message that God has given him. Is that a true statement, do you think? Does the preacher have a responsibility to preach what God gives him? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Does the listener have a responsibility to do something with what the preacher preaches? You better believe it. You see, the Bible tells us that we are to be hearers of the word, but then it goes a step further. We're supposed to be what? Doers. We're supposed to hear and we're supposed to do what thus saith the Lord. Verse number uh, two, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah was the messenger. He was the delivery man. He was delivering the message from God. Notice the message, verse number two. God says to his people, I remember thee. I remember the kindness of thy youth. 
the love of thine espousals when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. God is speaking to his people and he sets the stage of this message and he says, I want to take you back to a time when, you ready for this? When you loved me. God took them back to a time when they had just come out of Egypt. You know what they saw in Egypt? They saw the ten plagues. They saw the Passover. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw the armies of Pharaoh drown. And they're in the wilderness and they're on their way to the promised land. And they were thankful and grateful and they were in love with their God and their Creator and their Savior. But then God says in this passage, He says, something happened. I remember the love that we used to have. He says, I remember the uh, kindness of thy youth and the love of thine espousals. Now, the love of thine espousals, that is a term signifying a marriage relationship. And God had made a, a covenant, literally God had made uh, a, a marriage covenant with His people the nation of Israel. I'll give you a couple for instances. Notice with me, if you would, in um, chapter 3 and verse number 1. They say, Jeremiah 3, 1, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another, another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But notice what God says to His people. He says, but thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. There is the idea there that there was a marriage relationship between God and His people. And they forsook God and they went after other gods and they worshipped and served other gods and they played the harlot. They were unfaithful to their God. Uh, they had committed idolatry, which in the Bible is the equivalent of spiritual adultery. They had been unfaithful to God. But notice what God says in verse number 1. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Aren't you glad we have a merciful God? Hallelujah for that. Notice with me, if you would, in um, chapter 1 and verse number... Oh, I got it here somewhere. Let me get back to my place. Verse number 20. It says, For of old time I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands. And thou saidst, I will not transgress when upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest playing the harlot. You know what God's people had done? They had set up groves and they had set up images and they had set up all these places where they worshipped false gods. And God says, you have played the harlot. You have been unfaithful to me. You have forsaken me. We get to the New Testament and... Jesus Christ compares His relationship with the church to that of the bridegroom and the bride. That's why He says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He may present it unto Himself uh, a holy and, and, and a, a, a chaste bride. The, the relationship that we see in Jeremiah 2 is all throughout the Bible of a relationship with God and His people. I'm glad that Jesus is returning someday soon 
to catch His bride away. I'm glad He's coming back for the bride. The Bible tells us in Proverbs uh, uh, that, that a husband is to rejoice with the wife of his youth. You say, well, what's that all about? That is to return to the time when you were in love. Maybe you call it the honeymoon stage, or uh, the Bible refers to it in Revelation as uh, a leaving your first love. And can I tell you, the relationship that we have with God uh, ought to be a relationship like a marriage relationship. However, in a marriage relationship, sometimes both sides can be wrong. True? Now, I know what you ladies are thinking. It's usually the husband that's wrong, but for sake of illustration, for sake of illustration, I'll make sure they're awake over there, Brother Bobby, you know. But for sake of illustration, in a marriage relationship, there's times where maybe both sides could be wrong. But can I tell you, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, He's never done anything wrong to me. He's never done anything wrong to you. And if there is unfaithfulness in that relationship, can I tell you who is to blame every time? It's me. It's you. It is us because Jesus Christ has loved us with an everlasting love. And when we stray, I'm glad He says, I want you to come back. Just come on home. I'm thankful for God's faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness. When God spoke of His people being unfaithful to Him, He would use marriage terms. It is sad that in our nation and in our world today, marriage is under attack. I think we understand that. Marriage vows are often disregarded. We forget that marriage is more than feelings. Marriage is a commitment. Marriage is a covenant. Uh, and, and when I perform weddings, I still use the wedding vows uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health. Can I tell you, sometimes that's the way it is in marriage. And there are times in the Christian life where we go through hard times. There are times in the Christian life where there's trouble. There's times in the Christian life where it's not easy. But can I tell you, that's when we buckle down and we get faithful and we keep our eyes on Jesus and we don't quit just because the feelings aren't there. It's very sad. We'll see it in this passage and throughout this book, but it's very sad how that people will get saved. They'll get on fire, they'll serve God, they'll love God, they'll read their Bible, they'll pray, and then something bad happens, and they're nowhere to be found. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They thought that everything was going to be perfect, and they thought that everything was going to be wonderful, and they thought once they got saved, there weren't going to be more problems. I don't know what TV preacher you've been watching, but you didn't hear that here. And I'll guarantee you one thing, you didn't read that in this book. The Bible tells us that in this life, there will be tribulation. In this life, there will be hardships. But that's not the time to run from God. That's the time to get closer to God. You talk to these couples in our church that have been married for uh, 59 years and 60 years and all these years, and you ask them, you say, did you ever have any difficulties? I already know the answer to that. Of course. But you know what you do during the hard times? During the hard times, you try to get closer. 
During the hard times, you love each other more. During the hard times, you be more committed and more faithful and you try to be more selfless and you try to do more than you can. And you say, but my, my partner, they're not pulling their share. Well, sometimes they may not be. Sometimes you may not be. But you don't give up. You don't throw in the towel. I'm glad that God did not give up on us. They had forsaken God. They had been so blessed by God. Notice with me, verse number um, 2, it says that they uh, wentest after me. God says they followed after me. They went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the first fruits of all His increase. That word, their holiness, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. I want to remind you that we are to be a holy people unto the Lord. Turn with me please to Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want you to see a few of these verses here. Deuteronomy 7 and verse number 6. Thank you for turning the pages. I love to hear the sound of pages turning. See, I don't know where it is. That's okay. Just keep turning the pages till everybody else stops and then just stop wherever you are. Verse number 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee. Oh, isn't that good? God chose His people, the nation of Israel. So I wish God would choose me. Hang on tight. To be a special people unto Himself above all people that are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He sware unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations." We see that the nation of Israel was to be a holy people. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. God chose them. God set them aside as a special people. He set His love upon them. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse number 2. For thou art, and what's the next word? Holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto Himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. We find in Exodus 28 and Exodus 39 that the high priest had inscribed on the breastplate that he wore the words holiness to the Lord. God's people were called out. They were set aside. They were chosen not to be like everybody else, but they were chosen to be different. They were chosen to be a holy people. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, you say, well, I'm so glad that Israel was chosen by God. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. You say, oh, it must be nice being chosen by God. Boy, I wish we were special like that. I'm not a Jew. You're not a Jew. Boy, too bad we can't be chosen by God. Too bad we're not special. Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. The Bible says, but ye are a 
chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You say, who's this talking about? It's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about born-again Christians. God has chosen you. You say, oh, well, does that mean that we are a part of the elect? Does that mean that we are chosen to be saved? Yeah, you got it right. You say, well, who did God choose? He chose for whosoever will. He chose anybody and everybody that would accept Him and receive Him. And He said, I've chosen you. You're a peculiar people. You're a royal priesthood. You are special and I love you. I'm so glad that we have been chosen by God. But now, Jeremiah chapter 2, we see verse number 5, there's a problem. God asks the question to His people. He says, what iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? God says, hang on. Remember when... Uh, we, we loved each other. Remember when you loved me? Remember when uh, we, we entered that covenant? Remember when you were in the wilderness? Remember when you had nowhere to go? Remember when you had nothing going for you? Remember when I saved you and I redeemed you? What happened? Did I do something? That's what God's asking. Did I do something? Was there some iniquity that your fathers found in me? Is there, is there something that I have done wrong? Because you've gone far from me and walked after vanity? Wow. You know what the answer to that question is? No, there was nothing God had done wrong. The blame was not on God. The blame was on God's people for forsaking Him. Verse number 6, it says, Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? that led us through the wilderness. Verse 7, and brought, it, brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. Verse 8, the priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Friend, how does this happen? We're not talking about the wicked heathen nations. We're not talking about uh, the, the, the wicked, awful uh, uh, sinners, you know, that we would look at and say, oh, those people, they don't act like Christians, they don't talk like Christians, they don't live like Christians. Now we're talking about people that were in positions of leadership. We're talking about people that should have been the spiritual authorities in Judah, and the Bible says they stopped seeking God. We need the Lord all the time. Would you say that's a true statement? Brother Askew prayed tonight and he said, Lord, we are a needy people. And I say amen to that. We are a needy people. And if you don't think you need the Lord, you might be the one in here that needs the Lord the most. Because the Bible says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It's a scary thing to stand up to preach and think you don't need the Lord. 
It's a scary thing to get up and sing or to, to get up and, 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 and run a ministry or to uh, try to uh, have a marriage or to have your children or to have a business or to do anything. It's a scary thing to think you don't need the Lord. We need Him every hour. Miss Jodina sang that song, Lord, I need you when the sea of life is calm. And can I tell you, we need, it. we need Him when the sea is calm. We need Him when the storms are raging as well. We need Him every hour. But yet God's people acted as if they did not need Him. They stopped looking for Him. So, well, Pastor, you're, you're talking to the faithful Wednesday night crowd. I understand that. But I think we've all been there where we have found it's easy to go through the motions. And we get so busy that we don't take time to open this book and say, Lord, I need something from You today. And Lord, I need something from You. I know the pastor's going to have a Bible study tonight, but I need something from You this morning. And tomorrow morning, Lord, I need something from you. And, and we, we go through the motions and maybe we go into a ministry or we go into a class or we go maybe to a workplace and we think we don't need to pray. Friend, I got news for you. We are all one step away from disaster. We are all just one phone call away from our lives coming unraveled. And we need the Lord. But yet sometimes... We get to a point where we don't even act like we need Him. It says in verse number 8, the priests, these were the people that offered the sacrifices to the Lord. And yet they didn't even know if the Lord was within a thousand miles of them. The Bible says the priests, they didn't say where is the Lord. And they that handle the law, think about this, those that actually handled the Old Testament law, Genesis to Deuteronomy, they didn't even know who they were reading about. They didn't even know the one that the book had been written by and who it was written uh, uh, about. They didn't even know the Lord. You say, well, how is that possible? Easy. I think our churches have people like that today that look the part and play the part and they know what to say and they know when to smile, and they, they, they know the words to the song. And Brother Tommy, they even know all the verses to Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, 285, you know. I mean, boy, they got it all. They got it down pat, but on the inside, they don't even know the Lord. They haven't talked to Him. They haven't heard anything from Him. They haven't spent time in His Word. You say, no way, that's not possible in a church. Oh, yeah, it's possible. Because sometimes we get to a point where we think we don't need the Lord. Friend, I want to tell you, we need Him more than we've ever needed Him. We need Him every hour. The priests, those that offered the sacrifices, they that handled the law, they are the ones that did not know Him. They transgressed, they rebelled, they revolted against God. And these were the leaders, those who were responsible for the spiritual well-being of the people. I think about the responsibilities that we have as parents, some of you as grandparents. I think about the responsibilities that we have as husbands or the responsibilities that you ladies have uh, as a wife. The responsibilities we have to uh, be a witness. You know, you might be the only witness in your workplace. And if you don't need the Lord and you act like God, you could care less if you read your Bible or pray or if you know the Lord, you might be the only witness. 
You might be the only person in your family that could bring your family to Christ. And it might be not even your witness. It might be your life. It might be your testimony. Yet so many times we act like we don't need the Lord. Friend, we need Him. It says they prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. These were the preachers. They were more interested in what the world was doing and what was popular. They had so polluted the work of God that they themselves were not even worshiping God. I wonder sometimes if that's true of us. I wonder sometimes if we come to church, we walk to our pew, we sit down, we sing the songs, we listen to preaching, we get up, we walk out, and we got nothing from it. We didn't worship the Lord because the Bible says they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But all we did was make, made some noise and tried to look good. Friend, I'm just telling you, we need the Lord. And our relationship with the Lord, it's got to be right. It's got to be real. It's got to be sincere. Because there's an enemy out there the devil, who is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And he is a powerful foe. And you can't defeat him in the flesh. And I can't defeat him in the flesh. But I've got to have the Lord so that I can be victorious. Let me give you a couple takeaways and a couple closing thoughts and we'll finish this chapter another time. Number one, I'd like to say from these verses we've covered, verses 1 and 2, we ought to listen to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard that sermon. It doesn't matter. You say, I've heard John 3.16 a thousand times. Well, I probably have too. But you know what's amazing? If I'll listen and if I'll pray and if I'll seek the Lord, it's amazing how God can give me something one more time to help me for what I need. Number one, listen. Jeremiah had a message for the people, but they were not listening. Number one, listen to the preaching and teaching and respond to it. Do something about it. Number two, it's found in verses two and three. Don't ever forget that God loves you no matter what you do. Don't ever forget that God loves you. These people would be so far backslidden we just read about these priests, the priests and the prophets and the, the pastors. They didn't even know God anymore. They were so far from Him. But that didn't change the fact that God still loved them. Aren't you so glad He loves you? Aren't you so glad that He is so faithful and He's so true? And no matter what we do, no matter how many times we stray, God is there with open arms like the father of that prodigal son who was watching and waiting and wanting to run to meet his son who's come home. Number three, very quickly, don't ever forget that you belong to God. And I belong to God. I am not my own. You are not your own. We belong to God and God has called us to be holy. That's going to set you apart from this world because this world is not holy. The conversation of this world is not holy. The entertainment of this world is not holy. The music of the world uh, and the philosophy of this world is not holy. But God has called us 
We belong to Him and we are to be holy. Then number four, we just talked about it, verses 6 through 8. Let's not forget how much we need the Lord. I heard a preacher a long time ago. He was talking about the invitation. I'm not talking about the invitation now. but He said, there's two times that I hit the altar. He said, number one, I hit the altar when God speaks to my heart. But he said, I also hit the altar when God doesn't speak. Because if God does not speak to your heart, if God does not speak to my heart, when we have the Bible and the Holy Spirit and the preaching and the praying and we have all of that and God doesn't speak, that's an indication that something's wrong. And it might be wrong with the preacher. I hope not. I've prayed and studied and I believe this is what God would have me to preach tonight. I know there's no problem with the Bible. I know that still works. I know there's no problem with the Holy Spirit. He's alive and well. But when God doesn't speak to our hearts, that's time for us to realize, uh-oh, something's wrong. We need to get it right.